everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. You're just making a connection. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. The folks at home can't see it, but I want to reassure them that you were finger-quoting <laughs> the hell out of the word connections. I certainly there. was, yes. What could connections mean? I don't even in know. This episode? Yeah. I actually like connections Mm -hmm. in this episode there's some interesting thematic stuff there that we will talk about at the end of the show after we've discussed the rest of lonely hearts this the second episode of the first season of angel yeah it aired on the 12th of october in 1999 and here's an interesting little symmetry that we've got going on behind the scenes here it was written by david fury who does 13 episodes of angel all told writes 13 episodes of angel uh directed by james a contner who directs 13 episodes of Angel. So this is their first one together. Also, the last episode that David Fury does and the last episode that James A. Conner does are the same episode, Power Play in 2004. So I find this, there's this kind of like, you know, fun little symmetry going on here. And then they have 13 episodes they each do. Some of them, they overlap a couple of times in between, but they both start and end their individual runs on Angel together. And there's something about that that has a nice harmony to it. I like that. You're absolutely right. And when we get to Power Play, I Mm -hmm. don't know, two years from now, we will look back on (laughs) them. hearts do a little compare and contrast maybe we will see how far we've come yes this is really interesting Mm -hmm. though there's some interesting behind the scenes stories told about lonely hearts because lonely hearts was not supposed to be the second episode of angel Mm -hmm. the original second episode was a david fury script called corrupt and it had some of the same hallmarks it Mm -hmm. introduced the character of kate lockhart she was a cop she remains a Mm -hmm. cop however in the version that fury wrote originally corrupt she was a crack addicted man addicted (laughs) lost in the world undercover cop a cop who had lost sight of herself in Uh the seedy underbelly of los angeles the rest of that episode revolved around a group of pimps Mm -hmm. i don't know what the proper collective yes a fraternal (laughs) order of pimps summoning a demon there were a lot of prostitutes Uh angel pays a prostitute to talk just to talk but he's still technically paying a prostitute for her time Mm -hmm. and unsurprisingly the network the wb took one look at the script and said are you kidding (laughs) are you drunk we are not hbo standards and practices just fainted the whole crew yeah what's Mm -hmm. astounding is that the wb rejected the script Two days, two days before they were supposed to go into production. Oh, my God. Now, accounts vary. Some Mm -hmm. accounts say that they had five days to write the script before they start shooting. Some accounts give them as much as two weeks before they started shooting this Uh episode. But either way, this script was pulled together from pretty much nothing in a very (laughs) short span of time. And I think that that accounts for some of the flatness that we see in some of the scenes. Mm -hmm. Some of the dialogue doesn't really have, you know, what you'd think of as a third draft sparkle. Sure. (laughs) It kind of feels a little bit like placeholder dialogue. Yeah, it does. Particularly some of the stuff Mm -hmm. in the bar. Yeah. So that's the background story. This was supposed to be corrupt, but corrupt does not exist. They never shot that script. So that is really interesting. And we got a much gentler version of Kate Lockhart. Sure. Which I think is the right choice. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. think I would have cared about her even as much as I care about her. And that's like a negligible amount. Yeah. Had she been, you know, completely mm-hmm. lost sure. the light right off the bat. Let's get into our beat by beat. There's a lot to discuss in this episode. I'm actually surprised by A, how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> Not, again, an overwhelming amount, but I did enjoy it, and how much meat there is on the bone Mm -hmm. here. So we'll hold some of our big discussions to the end of the episode, I think, because Mm -hmm. there are a few things that we are going to circle back to again and again and again. So Mm -hmm. we'll put pins in those, and we'll come back to them at the end. But for now, let's get through our beat-by-beat previously on Angel, Doyle and Sawyer and Cordelia and Sweatpants. That's pretty much all you need from the first episode of Angel there. We open on Angel brooding in his office when he is interrupted by Doyle, who wants to party like it's Friday night, (laughs) primarily because it's Friday night. Doyle is into Cordelia, but Angel doesn't feel like playing matchmaker, which, from my point of view at least, is good. Probably for the best. Cordelia could not be further out of Doyle's reach if she were on the moon. (laughs) And also now I want a story about Cordelia being on the moon. Oh, sure. In this, the week Mm -hmm. that The Martian was released nationwide. I know. I think astronaut Cordelia would be pretty would much be the greatest fantastic, thing. yeah. I was a little hard mm-hmm. on Doyle yeah. last week. Doyle, not one of my favorite characters in Angel. Mm-hmm. I was struck by how much I enjoyed his performance 
in this episode in general, though, he certainly yeah. slips a few times. Yeah. But in this opening sequence, he's really good. I actually quite like him. And I think that Doyle, Cordelia, and Angel are very well written in this whole episode. I, I like everything that they do, you know? Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, I, and I like this opening. I like Angel sitting there alone in the dark. I like Doyle's, <laughs> you know, just stupid crush on Cordelia and Cordelia's either you know purposeful obliviousness i think that cordelia is so used to people having crushes on her that possibly she doesn't even notice it anymore no i think she'd notice it much more if he didn't have a crush yeah exactly on her. I think the exactly. absence of the thing would be more conspicuous <laughs> than the thing itself and rightly so no it's a really strong mm-hmm. opening and I it's like a strong it. opening that continues when cordelia shows up with the the brand new calling cards oh, calling yeah. cards so much more classy than business cards that's right mm-hmm. not as classy as a bat signal sure Still pretty classy <laughs> you know and you got to do what you can with the budget as dumb as it is, mm-hmm. I kind of like the joke about the little. Nobody can tell car. what it is. I, kind of I like can't that. tell if I like that joke or not. There's something about it that doesn't quite land for me, but at the same time, I love watching Angel yeah. struggle to see the angel. <laughs> like, <laughs> it feels like it's so obvious. And when we yeah. catch a glimpse, I almost think the joke would work better if uh-huh. we didn't see it. Uh, yes, no, absolutely. If I we think, didn't yeah. see it and we could fill in for ourselves that it's right. some abstract cubist depiction of an right. angel, it would maybe work a little better. But you see it and you go, yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's an it's an angel, right? Exactly. That's, I kind of like it and I really like it when it circles around at the end. I yes. would argue mm-hmm. that despite our problems with this episode, its closing movement is really very good indeed. Yeah. The denouement, the come down from the climax. Is no, really I like that good. too. Yeah. And yeah. echoes a lot of what we're setting up mm-hmm. here in our open. All this, though, is put on hold as Doyle gets one of his debilitating migraines and a vision of a bar. They have to go to a bar. And that's a pretty good <laughs> trick, if I say so myself. I'm going to remember that the next time I need to run out to Dunkin' Donuts. Exactly. I absolutely need a mid-afternoon pick-me-up. Something terrible is going to happen if I don't go. <laughs> at the achingly well-lit bar in question, Doblique, D-O-B-L-I-Q-U-E. And that's all you need to know to figure out where the crime is here. That's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> Terrible that is name. perfect name. My big problem with Doblique uh-huh. throughout. I think they do a pretty good job of setting it up as yeah. like this seedy, somewhat desperate singles mm-hmm. club. That all works nicely, except that all the lights are too bright. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It feels like a school gymnasium at the end of the dance a when little the kids bit are gathering right. their coats and going home. It's got some of that sadness to it. Yes. And sadness is not inappropriate for Dobley. Yeah, no. Uh-huh. But the whole thing should just be a little darker and a little seedier, which is weird because they kind of nailed that with the bronze. Yeah, they did. They light the bronze back in Sunnydale. Perfectly. Beautifully. Because yeah. it's light enough that you can see everything that's happening, but it doesn't feel yeah. artificial. Though, judging by the way that space mm-hmm. is used, that's clearly you know, a real space of some sort. Right, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's, I don't think it's a real club, but I suspect that it's a set that was built for something else, perhaps. I guess maybe, I don't Angel know. Angel is just using, because it seems really elaborate to build that whole staircase coming oh, yeah. out of the club. Yes, 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 if exactly. you're just building it as for a this one thing, right. Bar. Yeah. Yeah. So that, kind of works i guess we meet in doblique sharon and sharon meets kevin and they just really hate places like this Mm -hmm. after the credits in fact they're still talking and it's like he knows everything that she wants to hear (laughs) the angel investigations team arrives and cordelia is struck by the classiness of the club so classy is this club in fact that angel has for the first time (laughs) put on real life big boy pants no sweatpants in this entire episode Imagine me hanging up a little sign that says days without sweatpants and I'm taking off the zero and I'm putting up a one for Angel there. (laughs) Cordelia passes out calling cards in the club. Doyle is concerned about her upfront approach to marketing and foreshadows, perhaps, Mm -hmm. the police's suspicion that Angel might be acting as a vigilante. Yes. But Cordelia is a student of the human animal and has all the insight anyone could ever need. And obliquely in the background, we see Sharon and Kevin leave sure mm-hmm. which that is a nice piece of storytelling no i like that because they're just going and cordelia does point them out yes. you know um as part of her study way. of human nature absolutely it's a nice little you know the ship has sailed but we don't know it right mm-hmm. it's an odd pacing choice sure because letting us in on that secret yes basically means that we know and that we're tapping our fingers through the rest minutes. of the bar scene which is right. uh, yeah really way too long and it also <laughs> yeah. introduces 
one of the problems this is a real problem Mm -hmm. i think that you have with this episode we'll talk about this more fully yeah but the depiction of women in this episode Mm -hmm. the way that the i guess relative attractiveness of women is measured and judged by people in the scene and you know kind of expressed to be the only value that any woman has is the extent of her beauty yeah no we'll we'll talk about that a little bit at the end because it is of course a big problem in hollywood in general um but it is something that is is absolutely shamelessly done in uh in this episode yeah it's it's very it's it's bad (laughs) we'll talk about it extensively later in the show angel meanwhile is striking out at the bar when he meets a young woman kate he's looking for someone to rescue but she's doing fine though she does readily believe angel when he says that he's a veterinarian so maybe not fine fine (laughs) maybe you know three stiff drinks past fine exactly Because sure, a veterinarian who wouldn't believe that a veterinarian who dresses up like Batman and goes to Dublique. I and think we, that that's just a bad combination. You yes. are right. That is a warning <laughs> sign. That is a red flag, ladies and gentlemen. Or uh, you know, go light, depending on your personal tastes and proclivities. Sure. We talked last week about how good David Boreanaz is when yeah. he's given that social awkwardness. Oh, I love him when he does that. Knocks it out of the yeah, park no, in this he's episode doing again. Great. Yeah, he gets mm-hmm. to do a and he gets to do a lot of it. Some of it with Kate. Yeah. Some of it with with other people in the bar mm-hmm. and it really and then ultimately of course with Cordelia and Doyle at the end of the episode uh-huh. it really works he really manages to communicate it yeah he's proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is capable of carrying this series what I find so astounding about David Boreanaz is that and I believe we talked about this briefly is that he was just like discovered while walking his dog or something yeah. like he was pl- <laughs> he never had any intention of being an actor he's actually quite good I've got to tell you this episode Uh and and this would have happened at some point through angel anyway but this episode has done something that i didn't think was possible Mm -hmm. which has made me five percent interested in watching bones oh yeah because the thought of david boreanaz doing a more i don't know more naturalistic more nuanced sure yeah kind of performance actually feels pretty appealing right we'll we'll, we'll talk about bones there's that's a mixed bag if ever there was one but we're definitely not committing to a 10 season long podcast series no we might do a light bulb about it oh that would be fun that would be very interesting that's our other podcast the light bulb available now (laughs) cordelia meanwhile is being hassled by a guy and she is offended when doyle steps in to protect her but we are just doing back-to-back awfulness here because between Kate confessing that she has a hard time trusting that she is herself a drunken slut. Uh, Yes. That's some A self-flagellating hypocritical slut. Yes, that is some some powerful language right there. That is, to use casually, sure. Of Mm -hmm. that and Cordelia being called a prostitute. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As we said, we'll we'll talk about it later. Cordelia, between Buffy and (laughs) Angel, she doesn't dress slutty well just, between you know? xander and these douchebags in the club yeah, yeah seriously what i do like though and again we'll talk yeah. about this later is that when doyle steps in to protect her yeah. she is as mad at him for his I like presumption that. but i also like these guys because she's been dealing with these guys yeah. all her life and she is absolutely up to the task i like both of it i like that he steps in when these guys are way bigger than him and outnumber him you know that he doesn't hesitate You're to step right. in on her behalf um but also that she's like look i got it i can handle it so i actually like that from both of them i have to say as much as there's stuff in this episode that i don't like i really do like um angel and cordy and doyle I, I like yeah. the way that they're written. Doyle has his problems in this episode, but yeah. yes, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to those yeah, yeah, too, yeah. I dare say. Kate asks Angel if he wants to go someplace a little quieter and talk, and though he is tempted, he has to stay here in case there's trouble. And trouble, thy name is Doyle. A fight breaks out. Angel intervenes. And look, I don't want to tell you about fight choreography, <laughs> but if I were a vampire, I wouldn't be fighting by holding a wooden chair in front of my chest. <laughs> Because that feels like one slip. It's like running with scissors for regular people, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) One slip with that chair. And suddenly we have to rebrand the series. We have to go back to the network. We have to find a new guy walking his dog on the beach to play the lead part. Sure. (laughs) It's a pretty great fight sequence, Mm -hmm. though by no means the best fight sequence in this episode. This episode has some really great physical work. Yeah. Which is unfortunately Mm -hmm. a little overshadowed, but there it is. Peace is quickly restored by the bartender from before who was going to recur through the episode, but for whom I do not have a name. Mm -hmm. Marcy from Barstow, for whom I do have a name, flirts (laughs) a little with Angel, and Kate watches for a moment, then leaves the bar. 
Sharon, meanwhile, is in bed with Kevin. She makes her awkward excuses, but he just wants to hold her. And nothing bad could possibly happen. <laughs> Back at the bar, the gang is feeling depressed and defeated, and Cordelia takes the opportunity to give us a little more exposition on Angel's whole gypsy curse situation. Yes. As well as, again, tying into last week's discussion, making me feel like she is now 25 years old. Yeah. The way that she talks about back in high school dating yeah. was easy. Yeah. Makes me feel like Cordelia's been around the block a it couple of times. Four and it was four months been ago. Long, right? Exactly. <laughs> Although I guess you grow up a lot when you're, you know. A struggling uh, actress. When the, when the, yeah, well, when the mayor true. turns into a snake and, you know, eats all of your <laughs> friends. So <laughs> They finally leave the bar and we cut to the following morning where Sharon gets dressed, surrounded by blood-soaked sheets and a very dead Kevin. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially our first act set up there. And it's pretty solid stuff mm -hmm. more or less <laughs> <laughs> sometime later the gang is coming through the newspapers and cordelia is wrestling with the internet trying to figure out what happened or didn't happen at the bar we all love cordelia but she is no willow rosenberg Very true. doyle takes over on the keyboard and cordelia observes that he probably picked up his computer skills downloading pictures of naked women <laughs> now Doyle says at that point yes. that's more or less accurate. Well, after a very awkward cut to a <laughs> close-up of Cordelia giving a reaction shot, and then we hear Doyle, you know, in the background saying that's more or less accurate. Mm -hmm. And then Cordelia stares ahead blankly and for suddenly a for a really long time in order for her to like you know, observe and react to a natural progression of the joke that she started. Yes. He didn't say anything surprising in response to that. And it is, it is a very weird edit. I honestly didn't notice it the first time I saw it until you pointed it out to me. And then I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't find online a version of the original script that contained whatever line was said was originally, originally in that but apparently scene. a little bit too much for standards and practices it looks like it got cut it looked like <laughs> it was a last was. minute cut but i imagine it was pretty good line, line. <laughs> and cordy's reaction is so weird it is that, that whole cut that whole edit is weird uh yeah that was but a, i love it and the problem is the cut and the edit is so weird that it completely overshadows doyle's sudden and unexpected competence yes exactly actually contributing and i do love the joke yeah, of cordelia uh -huh. typing in the name yes of that that's that's mm -hmm. pretty great and we all know by now i'm sure how much i adore late 90s computer oh my god monitors, no computer graphics whenever the technology shows up it makes me so happy it's the best <laughs> they managed to find two connections to doblique a missing girl and a mutilated guy angel dispatches doyle and cordelia to research eviscerating demons but sometimes angel's got to go where everybody knows his name <laughs> Outside Doblique, he runs into Kate. He tries to warn her off from the club, but she's an independent woman and can go anywhere she likes. And when we were talking earlier about some of the flatness and clumsiness in the dialogue, mm -hmm. this was a real standout line to me. When Kate says, you can go to hell, and she turns around and she stalks off, I took a beat. There was a moment and I thought, oh, good job, TV show, not uh -huh. making the obvious joke. Let Angel's face yes. tell that joke for, oh, no, you did it. You, you just did it. You had him say it out loud. Well, not to mention, though, the the way that she gets so mad at him and you can go to hell. I mean, I appreciate, like, at some point during Angel, we needed to have that. We needed to have somebody tell him to go to hell and then for him to be like, <laughs> okay. Um, but in this moment, like, her level of anger is so much more than warranted, especially... Oh, no, I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure I agree with that. I guess. She connected with him the yeah. previous night she was vulnerable with him i mean she directly propositioned him yeah he blew her off with a nothing excuse and then the next thing she knows he's flirting with marcy from barstow <laughs> then he comes back the next night and says oh you shouldn't go in there mm -hmm. she says well where are you going and he says in there i think that's a pretty stark slap in the face maybe it's not you know maybe her anger is out of proportion given that this is the buffy verse and given that terrible things happen and everything's right. a little bit operatic but i kind of feel like if you had that experience in real life would yeah. you be feeling a little bit hey screw you buddy i'm gonna go where i like yeah i don't think that expressing it that way i think maybe it's just the dialogue it's of the it writing. it feels yes. like you can go to hell is wedged in there in a way that's just like if you're if somebody's like that at this point they yes spoke the night before and yes he ended up flirting with another girl. That's enough for her to be annoyed with him. But she opens up this scene asking him to go and have a drink mm -hmm. with her, right? So she's giving him an opportunity. Sure. And then he says, no, I don't think you should go in there. Um, 
and all of that and he's going in but he doesn't want her to go in and i mean i think that her response would be like well whatever dude bye like that's sure, the sure. response that i would expect not that you can go to hell you know um no, that was over delivered and yeah. i do think that there's a tension i think that when we talk about how good or bad this episode is mm-hmm. i think we have to recognize the tension and perhaps it's a tension born of the rapidity with which this script was put together sure there's a tension between the underlying intent and the execution of that intent yeah. and i like the underlying intent of Kate. Mm-hmm. I like very little of the execution of Kate. Right. I mm-hmm. don't think that her. I don't think that her performance quite matches the dialogue that she's given. Yeah. I don't think the dialogue that she's given is particularly right for the situations in which she finds herself. Yeah. There's a certain amount of of just stumbly clumsiness. It feels like a set because actually, I mean. I kind of like the actress. I've never really liked Kate. As a character. Yeah, as a Looking character. Looking forward to Angel. Yes, this is not the last time. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see you know, spoilers. <laughs> we'll see a little more of Kate as we go. Um, but, I mean, I, I feel like Kate as a character, and we'll be able to talk about this more once we've seen her a little bit more, but I feel like she's underserved by the writing. I kind of think the actress is trying yeah. to do something with it. You I know? don't think that there's anything bad per se I feel like the the writing that she's given in this is is really pretty bad yeah no I think I'm I think I'm right there with you inside the club though Kate sits at the bar right next to where Sharon is picking up a nerdy guy Neil Angel meanwhile overhears a conversation about Kevin and asks about the girl he hooked up with this is where we have Mm -hmm. the other douchebag guy who describes Sharon as dowdy yes (laughs) but even in that moment that's nicely subverted right at the end of right. the scene when the capper is that he's asked her out on more than one occasion. Exactly. Again, more well, about that. It's not entirely subverted because everybody else, all the other guys right there are like, oh yeah, chick's totally dowdy. Like, there's, well, you know, we'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> that That is all part and parcel to sure. one of my big problems well, with this episode. Yeah. Doyle and Cordelia, meanwhile, chit-chat about demons and the grossness thereof. And I do like that we went to all the trouble of having the illustration mm-hmm. of the demon with the wreath of intestines upon his head. <laughs> we didn't actually need to see that, but I like, again, some Somebody, prop guy had a yes. great day at work. No, seriously, when you think about all the people who are in charge of, of doing the, the woodcut drawings for, you know, both Buffy and Angel, yeah. that was the best job that anybody had during the 90s. That just absolutely <laughs> we cut back to the barman who has a special half price sale on exposition he tells angel all about sharon angel gets sharon's last name from the douchebag guy that's when we get the capper on the scene which mm-hmm. tells us that the douchebag guy had been asking sharon out angel goes to a public phone book because while we might have the internet it's still 1999 and neil and sharon meanwhile are in bed together and things it turns out didn't go well i like the fact that we have this awkward I guess post non-coital scene mm-hmm. between the two of them mm-hmm. there's no need for that there's yeah. no need for that in the story but it plays into this larger theme this, mm-hmm. this grinding and somewhat overbearing sense of of dispossession mm-hmm. of being lost and disconnected and mm-hmm. alone and lonely both of those right. two states physical inability to make a connection right. you know yeah right mm-hmm. it plays very nicely into that and I think that's the thematic stuff. That mm-hmm. whole make a connection thing, as hard as make a connection is hit, <laughs> we are both here in the studio. Using the air quotes, quoting, yes. Make a connection every time we say it. Mm-hmm. As hard as make a connection is hit in the script, mm-hmm. and that's perhaps a little clumsy and a little inelegant, mm-hmm. I very much like that that's the theme of the episode. And I think yeah. that absolutely speaks to this vision again, of what Angel is in LA. We're bumping up against intent versus intent execution. Versus execution, mm-hmm. absolutely. Angel bursts into the apartment despite having not been invited which okay now you had a loophole for this i did i did because it's if it's either neil or sharon's apartment it doesn't matter because they're both dead yeah um because now the monster that was living in the alien or whatever demon that was living in sharon is now living in neil so if everybody's dead angel can just come on in right I do have a problem with that, which is that Angel runs at the door like he's expecting to get in. He bursts it bursts yeah, yeah, yeah. through the door right. like he wasn't worried about an invitation. Yeah. Which, as we know, you know, from Buffy, he sure. would have recoiled violently. And I wouldn't even be so bothered about it if we didn't, shortly thereafter, mm-hmm. make a big deal about him being invited into Cordelia's apartment. <laughs> so, did you not read your own script? But here's yeah. the thing. I think it might be possible to look a little deeper Mm -hmm. and to find some thematic crunch there. Mm -hmm. 
Is it possible that in an episode that is all about dispossession, that is all about loneliness, that is all about being disassociated from the places and the people around you, Mm -hmm. is it possible that what the show is really doing is making us question the notion of home? Mm-hmm. Because it's not just about buildings. Yeah, The person who owns a home can give permission for a vampire to enter. Mm-hmm. If nobody owns that building, if it's a public space or whatever, right. then the vampire can enter and leave. Yeah, because he can go well. into the school and they can... Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that one of the things we're saying is that in LA, people don't connect to their... This is, in a sense, no one's home. But a few minutes later, he needs to get an invitation well, to go to Cordelia's. I would argue that Cordelia is different. Firstly. Mm-hmm. And secondly, he doesn't try. He doesn't try to go into Cordelia's apartment. Because he knows he's going to get, yeah, yeah, he's going to get magically held out. I am not sure that this, <laughs> I think that what we're doing is we're like, you know, we're associating a level of intent and, and yeah. complication that is not necessarily there. I think it's a very interesting question to ask. And I think we'll need more textual evidence from Angel. We're only two episodes in, so we can't really say at this point. Um, but I think it's an interesting question. I think you're entirely right. I yeah. don't think it's intentional, but it is possible that we've accidentally stumbled upon upon you know, possibly a deeper, a, a deeper thematic resonance. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of kind of like that idea. So Angel bursts into the apartment and finds Sharon dead and Neil with a worm in his back. <laughs> Neil says that he'll stop when he finds the right one, the one he can stay with. This body is new and cool, but it won't last. And am I laying the metaphor on a little thick? <laughs> Am I, am I emphasizing it a little more? What I'm saying is that I will constantly go in search of new bodies, right, right until I find the one that's just right forever. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's just a metaphor. Just trying to make a connection. He's going to be diagramming mm-hmm. it on the wall in just a moment if Angel doesn't start punching him. Luckily, yeah. Angel and Neil fight because worm demons are also super good at fighting right. human bodies. And this was this was such a striking piece mm-hmm. of, of physical choreography. The stunt where Angel is thrown back across the room upside down mm-hmm. is amazing. <laughs> that is a really great yeah. piece of stunt work. Mm-hmm. So the whole fight scene, in fact, very solid piece mm-hmm. of work. But we have that singular stunt, which is... is enormously striking neil runs off kate appears pulling both a gun and a badge she talks about connection the inability to find love and angel agrees that is exactly what this demon is using to get close to people (laughs) she tries to handcuff angel but he apologizes and batman's right out of the window (laughs) in the second great stunt of the show yeah yeah. then Mm -hmm. out the window tuck and roll onto the hood of the car off into the street really works and for a show that we know was pulled together or for a script I guess Mm -hmm. that was pulled together so quickly the production team are no slouches here. Yeah, they're no, really they're doing some really good stuff. And Someone I'm, I'm really beginning work. to appreciate Batman as a verb. <laughs> Thank you. Surprisingly <laughs> and depressingly useful. It really We'll is. get to our three-beat of Batmanology there later in this episode. <laughs> Kate gives chase, and right outside the window, Neil sits on the ledge, brooding. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, he and Angel probably have quite a lot in common when sure. you get right down to it. In Cordelia's apartment, Doyle regresses to middle school, and Cordelia sets him straight. Yes, she has girl parts. No. She doesn't need to live like a princess. Mm -hmm. Angel arrives, is invited inside, and gives them the lowdown on the situation with Kate and with the burrower demon. He knows it's out there, and it's still trying to make a connection, because that is what lonely people do. And if we hit the metaphor too hard in this episode, it's there. Yeah, That's no, what we have lonely people do. We have the demon isn't a lonely people. The metaphor. This is excessive <laughs> metaphorical assault. This is, is yeah, right. <laughs> Aggravated assault of a Aggravated metaphor. Aggravated assault here. of a metaphor. We cut to Neil seducing a girl in a bar and Kate breaking into Angel Investigations, searching the office and the apartment and finding, perhaps surprisingly, <laughs> A fridge full of nothing instead of a fridge full right. of blood. This just happens to be the day that Angel's refrigerator is not full of blood. Okay. <laughs> I think, and lucky for him, I think yes. he moved it out of there. I think he probably has a cooler under his bed. He was tired of grossing out Cordelia and Doyle. <laughs> He's behaving with a little bit of consideration for his roommates. Or just <laughs> the sick original of, odd couple. Sick of taking uh, crap from him for it. Yeah. yeah. Angel searches the streets. The demon passes from Neil into the girl. Angel returns home at dawn, and this is a really great montage sequence Mm -hmm. cutting from neil to kate to angel it's got a really nice kind of yeah a claustrophobic kind Mm -hmm. of quality to it it feels great i don't know 
I didn't like the montage. You didn't? No. Okay. The montage, I think at this point in the episode, I've already, I'm already feeling a little frustrated, a little annoyed. Kate goes to his, um, you know, his apartment and there's nothing, you know, there's no blood in there, which of course there should be because that's an opportunity to like increase the tension and make her suspect him even more. Um, but we don't see that. It's kind of a missed opportunity. And there's something about the montage that just, it feels like, all right. Yes. I mean, okay. I think here's the thing. I think the montage was nicely shot and nicely put together. I don't feel like I needed any of the information that we got from the montage. No, that is fair. I you think know, particularly and it felt out of place. It's misdirection yeah. because we're mm-hmm. not actually going to clue Kate in on Angel's whole deal. Yeah. We're going to hold her at arm's length so she can't find the blood. Right. She can't mm-hmm. find, in fact, anything. And also, what the hell is she doing breaking in without a warrant? Yeah. She tried to arrest this guy mm-hmm. and he fled off into the night. She would have no trouble getting exactly. a warrant. Exactly. To examine his, his yeah. domicile and place of business. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it's misdirection. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be going down that road because we've got no interest whatsoever in getting to the destination there. Yeah. We're, we're alluding to something we have no intention of fulfilling. Right. And that's mistaken. But I do think you're right. I think that, that if it fumbles in intent, at least in execution, I think the montage is really So this is where we've got the reverse. I know. This one moment. The the idea Uh of this burrower demon getting Mm -hmm. further and further away. Right, right. Moving from body to body to body. And so we see that and but we know that this demon is going to be moving from body to body to body and that as more time goes by um, the further away they're going to get from capturing him. I just feel like this this montage in the middle of of the show it, it serves to slow things down. It doesn't give you enough. And this is a show yeah. in which we didn't really start our story in the first act. Either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were more interested in doing the character stuff mm-hmm. than we were in right. tracking the demon. Yeah, the pacing is... I wouldn't even go so far as to say the pacing is bad. It's just, it's odd. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not, it's not purposeful either yeah. way. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. Angel returns to Cordelia's apartment at dawn and finds the Angel Investigations team. You know what? I'm going to call them the Investigateers. Okay. They're the Angel Investigations Investigateers. The Investigateers are sleeping on the couch. They've managed to identify the demon the Investigateers have. There's not much in the way of weakness. Perhaps fire? Question mark. Angel calls Kate at work and sets up a meeting. All she has to do is trust him and they can catch the killer. And I do like that very much. Mm-hmm. I like that entire conversation. Yeah. I like that he reaches out to her. I like that he trusts her. Yeah. And I like that he says bring on yeah, the cavalry. Bring whatever you want exactly. so you feel safe. Yeah, I like I that. I like that mm-hmm. a great deal. Mm-hmm. In Doblique, Kate flashes her badge at the barman. She's hit on immediately in a little bit of misdirection, but the barman lures her into a back room and then knocks her out. He tears open her shirt and I guess that Angel was wrong about the burrower moving from host to host after sex because of the exchange of fluids or the commercial break that interrupts that scene covered up <gasps> An no. Entirely un- oh, God, that's disturbing. No. I really don't think that was the intent. I don't think so. But yeah, that is. But if that's not your intent, then you why have to- Angel have the line earlier saying right. that the borrower moves following sex? Yeah. Well, and also because we saw in that one scene that they didn't, you know, they failed to make the connection, but the borrower was still able to move through. But I guess there True. would have been kissing and some bodily fluid of some, some sort exchange of fluids, um yes. but yeah there we we are hoping that there is no exchange of fluids here for uh for kate well i genuinely um, don't think there is and certainly the episode's going to i don't think we see wasn't. time there's no time for that so i'm um, happy to chalk that up to angels misunderstanding the nature of the demon rather than right or that there was a line that should have been cut from the yeah. original script which was left in yeah so, that's exactly yeah. what it could be it could mm-hmm. be an original version of the script and then we rewrote the ending but we didn't go back and comb through which the script it, it's a vestigial tale it happens all the time Mm -hmm. angel and kate are trapped and the barman is prowling the club bloodied and decomposing he's desperate to make that connection that everyone keeps talking about and we're not playing this scene for laughs right we're not playing the scene where the guy is predatory in the club as his face decomposes right because that would be a weird choice no yeah yeah with his with his face falling off saying i just want to make a connection i just want to make a connection it's unfortunate too because that actor has a great deal of charm (laughs) and i really liked him through the rest of the episode he does oh i didn't care for him i have my reasons we'll talk about that later (laughs) you feel strongly about the club yes angel meanwhile decides to batman his way out of another situation and literally (laughs) this time i mean batman not as a verb but with a capital b the whole grappling hook thing it's the 
grappling hook. Mm-hmm. It's the way that he holds Kate. Yes. It's the way that the strings rise. There's just, it's the briefest moment. Mm-hmm. But the way the strings rise under the action there, it's Batman 89. It's the Tim Burton <laughs> Batman. Wow. It feels okay. identical. And then she says, who are you? Oh. Which is a breath away from, you know, right. where do you get these wonderful toys? Right. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It is a Batman line, which we then immediately subvert with the, the cracking of the beam and the whole thing falls apart. And we will never talk of, of Angel's grappling hook again. Yeah. No. At least in my memory. No. So, the producers are aware yeah. that this is Batman. Mm-hmm. Let's see what they do with that going forward from here. Let's see. Because that's two deliberate Batman references in the space of this episode. Doyle mentions the yeah. signal up front, and then there's this moment. With the grappling hook. Which is yeah. far too specific to be accidental. I, I don't think in any way it's accidental. <laughs> I don't think in any way. I think that they I mean, took a lot of inspiration awesome. for all of Angel from Batman. But if you were wondering, the answer is yes. They clearly know that. But they're you see, doing he's this. wearing that duster. It flows behind him like the Batman <laughs> cape. I mean, I, I don't think. I think it's incredibly clear. And even if you look at his car, his car is kind of <gasps> Ooh, an old Batmobile-y? school Batmobile. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I'll be looking more carefully at that in the future. The grappling hook fails. Kate shoots the lock off the door, and they escape into the club. Out on the street, the barman is getting more and more desperate as he continues to decay. Finally, he drags a girl into an alley, and Angel gives chase. They fight, getting awfully close to a barrel full of the demon's one weakness. Were you, the viewer, paying attention back in Cordelia's apartment? (laughs) The demon bursts into flame, and Kate finishes it off with a couple of bullets, then rushes to Angel. And some time later, ambulances and fire trucks are on the scene. The body of the barman is being taken away. Kate believes the bartender was a serial killer, and Angel doesn't go out of his way to correct her. She also comes clean about illegally searching his apartment. He gives her a calling card, which she thinks is a lobster. Mm -hmm. That's a nice echo of that original joke. And when she's distracted, he walks off into the night. Back at Angel Investigations, Angel tries to do the right thing and take the investigators out on the town, (laughs) but they take mercy on him and decide to go home instead. And that, my friends, is friendship. And we end. I love the book ending. I love that we end, we start with Angel Alone in the Dark. We end with Angel Alone in the Dark. I like that. So let's get right to it. Sure. And talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> the uncomfortable depiction of women elephant. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is that, like, I think it's just a lot of accidental things that are in no way intentional, you know, to be. I think these are... These are just a ser- it's it's the none of the hot women come in until eleven o'clock and you look around and you know what it's nothing but hot women in that bar. Yeah. Uh, the idea that this this girl Sarah right is or Sharon, Sharon is is yeah. uh, incredibly you know basically they take. An unbelievably, unnaturally gorgeous actress put a little less makeup on her. Suddenly, she's a dowdy frog. And then, after she um, she becomes the burrower, she wears a little more makeup. So she's suddenly hot. You know um, well, that okay. the only value that women have is in their beauty. Cordelia is instantly, uh, you know, called a prostitute for absolutely yes. no reason. Here's the thing, though: each of those things, I think, is explicable in its own way. Mm-hmm. I think that it's not that. Sharon is suddenly hot when she has the burrower because we see Neil later suddenly seducing that fantastically beautiful woman Yeah, because it's all about confidence it and is. swagger mm-hmm. and style. So that by itself isn't, I think, problematic. No, it doesn't say anything about women. But alongside depict... all of these other things. Yes. And then Kate just casually refers to herself as a self-flagellating hypocritical slut. And that is something that is just, that's just... Well, that's perfectly reasonable with, thing for her to think of herself. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. The defense of that line, I suppose, is on the one hand. Is it, she's playing a part. She's trying to exactly. be vulnerable. She's trying to. So for for Kate, I can like forgive it just a little but bit. This is the problem. There yeah. are so many of these things that you can't really forgive. They all pile all up on each other. Explicable. Like a bunch not, of cartoon characters running a line and then one of them stops short and the rest of them just exactly. pile on. That's what it feels like. But they're all rooted, I think, in Doblique. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the big problems that this episode has is that Doblique doesn't work. They obviously, they found or built or had this space, right. mm-hmm. which is a remarkable space. Right. And that's great. And you should absolutely use it. But it doesn't fit the depiction of Doblique that's in the script. The intent right. is that this is a CD singles club, mm-hmm. not that it is, as Cordelia says, a classy place. Right. To the point that it's not actually clear whether Cordelia is being sincere or ironic when she calls it classy. Right. 
all through the the episode, everyone's talking about how much they hate it. Mm-hmm. We've got the barman behaving like it's a meat market, like yeah. it's you know, mm-hmm. like it's a cattle call, like yeah. it's a much less pleasant kind of place. Not that it in itself is particularly pleasant either, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. So there's an essential tension there between what the show thinks it's doing yeah. and what it's actually doing. And if Doblique were a grimmer, dirtier, grimier, mm-hmm. sadder place, mm-hmm. some of the stuff about women, the guy at the bar referring to Sharon as dowdy, right. that kind of thing wouldn't, I think, be as out of place as it feels. But because there's this discontinuity between Doblique as it's intended and as it's executed. Yeah. That makes it feel as though calling Sharon dowdy, calling Cordelia a prostitute, all of this kind of questionable, calling Kate a drunken slut, Mm -hmm. that all of this stuff somehow has the authority of, of, you know, authorial intent. Mm -hmm. That the show, the episode somehow means it. Yeah, and it just feels, it just, it feels uncomfortable for me. And the more of those little cartoon pileups I saw, the more aggravated I got with it. Um, Not on top of which, like, just the dialogue in this, in in certain places, is terrible. The Cordy and Angel and Doyle stuff, I actually quite like. I love Cordelia's apartment. Uh, Aside from Angel's one line about been there, done that. Yeah, and Kate's very awkward go to hell, which doesn't work either. I think Angel's dialogue in the entire episode works. It's really great, great. yeah. No, the stuff with Sharon and Mm -hmm. Kevin originally at the bar, then the stuff with Sharon and Neil at the bar. And I get that that's supposed to be heightened and stilted and, and weird. Right. But it's also just bad. It is. It's just, it's terrible dialogue and you don't understand. Like, okay, it's one thing if this demon is using some kind of hocus pocus spell on people. And so they see him as being very charming when like he's not or whatever. I don't know. But if that's uh, but no, the case, there's no clarity. There's yeah. no clarity to it. So it just feels very wooden. It feels very stilted. I don't like, I don't like the way that Kate is written at all there's nothing about her that that yeah, makes a lot of sense very to me stagey um, kind of writing yeah um, i don't like the barman at the end i don't like the barman all the way through i don't i think because the first thing i hear from him is none of the hot women come in until 11 and i'm like screw you dude you know well see even that line i think you could possibly defend in as much as maybe he doesn't mean it maybe he's trying to placate this guy who he doesn't know who's shown up at the bar that he himself is being wry about the kind of people who come into this skeevy club yeah. you can kind of whistle past it or explain it away but you can't whistle past it explain away all of them simultaneously all of them at the same time you can't whistle five different tunes at the same time right no I mean it's just it's a bit but much yeah. all of that alongside the scene in Cordelia's apartment the scene where Doyle picks up her bra yeah. and Cordelia smacks him down so oh, hard oh Cordelia has girl parts yes absolutely I mean it's a great response from her and that she's not ashamed or you know feeling like yeah like i'm a girl i should have a clean apartment yeah Yeah. angel gets his little smirk yeah you live like this Uh and she said yeah the maid service was interrupted (laughs) and she is completely owning her space and her right to be there yeah and her right to live the way that she wants yeah Yeah. and i actually really quite like that i like in the bar when doyle stands up for her and when she says no i don't need you to stand up for me i've I've got this you know i like that she i mean cordelia i think and cordelia alongside this this just i don't know this very shallow depiction of not just depiction of the women but the way in which the women are viewed by everyone else like the way in which they are viewed and and that kate plays that on herself she co-ops that to talk about herself in that way once again Mm -hmm. we have a woman being used as Peril. Yeah. The bartender drags that girl mm-hmm. who doesn't have a name, who doesn't have a presence. I don't think we even see her face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is literally just a piece of meat that he drags into the right. alley uh-huh. so that Angel can save her. And, you know, women in peril is a big thing in Angel. Of we get a is. lot of that. Well, mm-hmm. and it is a big thing in noir and is sure. a big thing in superhero stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they're drawing on a tradition, but when you're drawing on a tradition, that doesn't mean that you get to draw on it mindlessly. Right. You still have to make informed and sophisticated mm-hmm. choices. And there's no informed and sophisticated choice there. Sure. There's also nothing about the borrower that suggests that it has to pass from a man to a woman. Sure. And I'm absolutely certain that if we made this show today in 2015, mm-hmm. there would be a lesbian scene in the middle of this episode. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because if, you mm-hmm. know, Game of Thrones was doing this, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what yeah. we would do. 
I would have yeah. really liked if, and we don't need to comment on it, we don't need to, to make yeah. a big deal out of it, if the bartender had just dragged a guy into sure. the alley at the end of the episode, sure. we would have accomplished All exactly we need is the an same innocent. thing. Exactly. But we wouldn't have been playing to the same tired cliche yeah. that this episode circles. There is an, mm-hmm. a gravitational influence mm-hmm. there. Sure. This... this quasi-misogynistic depiction of women throughout this episode. Like I said, I don't think that any of it is purposeful. It doesn't feel... See, this is the thing. It doesn't really feel misogynistic to me so much as it feels lazy. It feels like lazy misogynism. It feels like somebody who is just picking stuff up lazily from the atmosphere without thinking about it, without putting... It doesn't feel like it is something that they really believe in, but they don't take any effort to weed it out of the script either. Um, It is the the natural knee-jerk place that this script went when it had to be written in two days. And that, I think, to me, illustrates something that I'm not that excited yeah, about in a you way know? it's almost more depressing that you're that, it's, that this response. is the natural place yeah exactly. exactly if you're deliberately going there the first easy thought right. is well let's make and this that's joke what let's bugs make me this about joke it. let's do this is that yeah. it is so easy that but it's the knee-jerk place that you go even then even if you acknowledge that even if yeah. you accept that that is true it's kind of i think unfair to single this episode out well you, know, yeah. you don't blame the grape for the terroir uh, you know, for, the, for the country in which the grape grows right mm-hmm. the grape springs from soil that is part of a broader cultural tradition and that extends too to right. the hollywood casting to this idea that well right. she's the ugly one because she's 5%. she's hollywood ugly because we exactly. put a little less makeup on her um which is something that buffy has been absolutely guilty of and, and a lot of tv shows and a lot of movies when janine garofalo is the ugly fat chick i call bullshit <laughs> as well you should as well you should yeah. and so should we all no you're absolutely right so there's some of that stuff some of the the just the aura that surrounds this episode that is yeah. a little unpleasant and i do think you can trace most of it back to the bar a clearer vision of the bar yes would have helped to disambiguate what the actual intent of the episode was versus the lines that are given to some of the characters inside Mm -hmm. the bar that would have helped but yes you're right making smarter second choices Mm -hmm. in in just half of these situations yeah if half of these situations hadn't been there we wouldn't be having this discussion at all because we wouldn't be we wouldn't be piled up load of all exactly Mm -hmm. exactly let's switch gears and talk about something that i really loved in this episode which is the metaphor the Uh theme the finding connection and meaning and purpose in a dark and uncaring world in the naked city as doyle says sure what did you make of the metaphor allowing for the fact that it was kind of overdone that it was a drum that was beaten perhaps a little too often and a little too clearly yeah what did you make of the metaphor okay i i think thematically that this might have been a good starting place for the story i don't feel like we really went anywhere with it if you're talking about I think one of the things that happens is that they're talking about making a connection as sex, right? So we have this whole thing where everybody's talking about making a connection, having sex, but they have sex and it's empty and it doesn't give anything back. We also have this parallel story where Doyle is starting to have a crush on yeah. Cordelia. And if you had just given them a moment where they connected as people, where Cordelia looked at Doyle, I mean, there's a moment where we have Doyle's, you know, capability suddenly where he's able to type in on the, yeah, but if we- you'd given something like that as a very subtle thing and shown us that the the real connection being made in this episode is actually Doyle and Cordelia and that the sex is not well, but we're not going to the connect. path to connection we're not going to connect Doyle and Cordelia because we're still doing the big secret which is kind of hollow conflict no, and, I'm not saying that you have to have them advance a romantic relationship I'm saying that you have them connect as two well, people who who bond over something to, who, that, to the extent that we have that in the episode I think that we see that when they fall asleep together uh, there's a little bit of that, sure. That's a fairly intimate kind sure. of thing. And, and also when Cordelia slaps him down for, for you know, picking yeah. up her bra for being just a middle school boy. I think that there's a there's a nice growing kind of respect and intimacy there. Right. I don't. I, and actually, I mean, that's exactly the thing that I'm talking about. Like, it actually is there. But I don't feel it as as any sort of contribution to what this theme is actually no, about. No, I think that's completely separate from. You know? the, the metaphor extends no further than the actual core narrative i think it it perhaps extends as far as kate though kate's trust issues are entirely informed and nothing that she says we behave as though everything she says in that opening act is 
real. But then we find out later that she was just trolling She's playing for this killer. a part to try to get the killer. So I looked at all that stuff as being not who she really is. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't get a, a, a lead on who she And when you introduce us to a character the first time, who they tell us they are, who they show us, us the yeah. first time. Yeah. All you need is the line at the end, the expected yeah. line at the end. Oh, everything I told you was true. Yeah. You know, you just have something that, that grounds us in a sense of who this character really right. is on an ongoing basis. Then we can connect to her more clearly. All of that said, and I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right about all of it, I really like, I actually like the fact that sex is disconnected, is disassociated from meaningful mm-hmm. connection. Right. That we, I think we do manage to keep those two things separate because even the douchebag guys in the bar, mm-hmm. they're having sex, but yeah. they're not finding connection. But then, I, yeah, I don't know, like the whole making a connection thing. I mean, and possibly it it's because they beat the drum. The- okay, well, the language I find irritating <laughs> in the extreme. But even the whole... It's a little self-helpy. Uh, well, it's not just self-helpy, but it's a little too literal because he's literally connecting with the bodies. He's burrowing from one body to another. So there's that whole thing there is the the lack of clarity in this does the borough require sex does it not what is happening um all of this stuff there's no clarity to it i don't mind the theme of what it means to be connected to people what it means to actually click with somebody i think that rather than seeing absence of connection in the whole thing you have to have some examples of connection and i yeah. feel like maybe you know maybe we did get that a little with cordy and doyle but i didn't feel it in the no, moment it's- it's not it's not carefully constructed enough it, to there's draw no that there's no sense of clarity so I, I I think that as far as the theme goes in how it is actually presented in this episode I kind of hate it I think that's going to be our point of separation our point of disagreement on this episode yeah. fundamentally because I like the theme I like the irrepressible hope in a dark place okay. I like that so these you people like that are, as a theme do you like the way it's executed in this broadly episode? yes everything okay. up to everything up to the barman yes okay. i actually do i actually like we don't spend a lot of time with the borrower whatever yeah. kind of essence it has and yes the execution is heavy-handed mm-hmm. but if you dial back the dialogue that he has with angel mm-hmm. and you let that just stand symbolically a little yeah. more rather than really beating it into the ground the quest for a fit the quest for, you know, compatibility. And God, you can even be just really grim about it and talk about the wreckage of broken lives and broken bodies that you leave in your way because you are single-mindedly pursuing you know, sure. the hope, the impossible hope right. of something that will last, Finding something the right that will one. endure. Right. Well, and also the, the, he has this whole thing about, I'm just going to look for the right one, but he's been through a number of bodies and human bodies I mean, it's a human body. Like, But if, is that not what everyone thinks? Is that not what you think when you're in your mid-twenties and you've got maybe three, four, five ruined relationships behind no, you? No, but he's a demon. That's the thing. Like, He's a demon okay. physically looking yes, for a body that is. will... What is going to be special about the body no, that holds him? How sure, is that ever going to work? A particular and unique biochemistry, a particular and unique, I don't know, mutation of something. I don't know. Clearly, it doesn't it's, matter. That's the thing. It, but it lacks clarity. It but hits the I theme like too hard. the metaphor so much that for me it works it's really grim it's a really sad portrayal of desperate people Mm -hmm. but it's a sad portrayal of desperate people that is rooted in a kind of hope Mm -hmm. and it's a kind of bittersweet hope you know and that's what we're seeing i think from cordelia i think cordelia's life in la Mm -hmm. is a kind of bittersweet hope angel's life in general is a kind of bittersweet hope and i love that as the core thematic kind of the 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 root that goes deepest in this kind of noir storytelling i don't care about I don't care about noir storytelling that surrenders to cynicism because that's just so easy. I don't right. care about The Punisher. I don't care about many versions of Batman for exactly sure. that reason. Right. Mm-hmm. But give me a noir story where the city is tough and the streets are grimy and the night is dark, but there is still hope. And I'm kind of hooked. See, I dig it when you talk about it. <laughs> but I don't like here. But I'll tell you one thing that I would have enjoyed more mm-hmm. about like if 
if we'd had a shot at the end where you see Kate going back into the bar when she's not running the thing. Interesting. You know, and there we got go. a sense of her that she oh, that is so still sad. looking. I, well, okay. Well, you're right, though. Just how more much Kate, more sad than what more, it already is. But a, a something better, of Kate. If we're gonna Kate if we're gonna been. have an extended relationship with Kate, then I want to have a better introduction to her. And I feel like our introduction to her is is kind That's of flat and inconsistent true. and not not clear. Like I don't know where to land with her what to think of her at this point no I completely um, agree Kate is fumbled through this episode and yeah. partly that's because we spend the whole first half of the story believing that she's someone else believing that she she's something she's not shows up with the sure. gun and the badge in mm-hmm. Neil's apartment or Sharon's apartment yeah. she's suddenly there it makes a logistical kind of sense yeah a narrative kind of sense but I don't care but emotionally I'm just not connected yeah. to her so yeah I don't know like I I appreciate what it is that you like about it um, because that exact thing I feel in my read of this episode is fumbled so hard. Sure. No, I can see it. It. I don't like it at all. I really, and I think that like, this is one of the reasons why I tell people when I give writing advice, don't worry about theme, don't think about theme, don't worry about theme. Theme will happen, and when you go back, you can touch it up a little bit. But if you hit theme too hard, it's like being punched in the same spot over and over and over again until I punch back. Yeah, This is a, you know, out of mind, out of sight level of of making Mm -hmm. the metaphor literal. Yeah. (laughs) This is the kind of, of literalization of the metaphor that we haven't seen since season one of Buffy yeah I was thinking about this episode after watching it and wondering like what could you do to keep that metaphor but but somehow make it mm-hmm. less precise somehow make it less literal and I came up with the idea of a demon that or, or some kind of force that consumes couples at the moment where they find the connection yeah oh that consumes so that the connection than, itself and yes, steals it from them both, rather than inhabiting one person and passing to the other yeah and being parasitical in nature well still it would still be parasitical guess, right but yeah it finds that moment of connection that first moment where you look into someone's eyes and mm-hmm. you think oh wait mm-hmm. that first click moment and the demon or the force or whatever consumes both people. Oh, I love second. it. There's something, you know, this that's clearly an applicable metaphor. I mean, obviously you're changing the story entirely, but Well, no, that's but I think that, that would be more that, Yeah, that would be more interesting. Yeah, I I honestly it, it all irritated me so much by the time I got to the end of it that I just didn't even care anymore yeah. about the theme or about any of it. Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think I'm just going to have to come down on this episode as it being not my favorite episode of Angel. No, I can definitely see that. Not yes. even out of the two that we've already watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should also observe, I guess, that this is our first ever buffy episode of Buffy. Oh, This is right. the first in the ever Buffyverse. into the Buffyverse without, without any buffy. buffy in it yeah. whatsoever. And I didn't miss her no you know angel <laughs> has got his own thing and i think you're you're absolutely right about the batman reference this is you know angel as batman you know kind of yeah. archetype um and i really like it i think that this is different from buffy uh some people who love buffy don't like angel at all and i completely understand because yeah. it's not it because doesn't if you're looking for the same thing if you're looking for the you same thing gonna you're, you're going to be disappointed it's not the same thing but what it is and even the first time i watched angel when i wasn't really looking at it critically what it is is really interesting it does a lot of really interesting work and i think and you know again i've only seen it through once i think it only gets better as we go so with all that said we have one last task ahead of us that's right where shall we put this on the big list of every angel episode ever and i don't want to start this conversation off in contention (laughs) i like this better than i like city of i know i know and maybe you're absolutely right when you say that you know i'm seeing a theme here i'm seeing something here. i think you love potential I'm i think there's potential responding to the potential yeah much more than the execution i and i i can't i can't in good conscience put this as number one on a I list even I'm on a list of two with that. i think i'm comfortable <laughs> with putting it in under city of but it's kind of I, and, and when i would put it above city of it's not by much yeah I think it edges out because this is this is a very kind of you know as, as, specific right no like there are certain episodes yeah. that are just made to delight me when we get to something blue in season four of buffy <laughs> everybody hates that episode i adore it so um so yes i understand that there are certain things in here that are absolutely uh alistair specific um that said in my notes i actually have number two only because i can't put it lower wow <laughs> 
Wow. Really, I guess we could open up some really spaces. really didn't like if this episode. If we were going to add blank spaces, what number <laughs> do you feel abstractly would be appropriate for this episode? Oh, I don't want to go that far. Let's, why beat it up any right. more than I already have? You put it 25 on the list. On the list of two. <laughs> on the list I'd of two. I put it number one, so let's compromise and put it number two. Oh, you're so good to me. Thank you for not making me put this number one. <laughs> next week, we have a really interesting set of shows, pair of shows, because yeah. next week we hit our first inter-show crossover. Next Monday, we'll be looking at The Harsh Light of Day, the third episode of the fourth season of Buffy. And for reasons which we cannot say right now, Lonnie is very, very excited indeed. On Thursday, we'll be looking at In the Dark, the next episode of Angel. There's something of a crossover there. I'm going to bit. say no more about it. But yeah. Stay tuned for next week. It is going to be a lot of fun. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sticking with us. If you enjoy what we do here on Dusted, we would love it if you could take the time to head on over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review, go tell us if you thought Dobleek was the worst possible name for a bar or if there's a worse one out there. Go tell us about the last time you batman with a lowercase b. I'd love to hear your <laughs> stories. Go leave a rating, leave a review. It helps people find the show and we are always grateful. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Monday with more. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. Dusted.